We're going to be going into the book of Revelation, and I'm excited about this. I really am because I absolutely love this book. And over the next multiple weeks, several months, we'll be studying this verse by verse. We'll be going through God's prophetic timeline, the prophetic calendar. You'll be seeing things exactly as God is laying them out in the prophetic word. So you'll be, uh, if you're not already a, a Revelation scholar, we trust by the time we're done that this book will be one of your uh, maybe like mine, one of the favorite books that you look into. Folks, we all want to know what's coming. We all uh, want to know what's going to happen in the future, especially in the, the state our country has currently just been going through and is going through. We all want to know what's going to happen. Those of you that have investments, you want to know what those investments are going to do. And if you had the prophetic insight, which we don't, of course, We'd all buy the right things, we'd all get the right stocks, we'd all make the, uh, the right choices, uh, but all of that is a guess. Well, God's prophetic word, there's no guess about it. 100% accurate, 1,000 prophecies in the, in the Bible, 500 have always come to pass exactly as stated. That means 500 more that we'll be looking at many of them over the next several months you can go to the bank, if you will, on it, that these things are literally going to happen exactly as God wrote them. So it's very exciting material. And again, uh, as we start out, there's two things we will not do as we approach the text. We will not spiritualize or allegorize the text. We take it literally, even though we'll, we'll get into a little bit of that tonight uh, about uh, some of the symbolic things that are in the Scriptures. But before I go there tonight, first of all, I want to thank our musicians. And uh, I was in here uh, first uh, during Sunday school time. I heard one of the specials coming up, one of my favorite songs, just absolutely gorgeous, beautiful. I so much appreciate the good music. Uh, today, the specials that were done uh, tonight with our uh, um, worship team, I just absolutely love it. So thank you to all that have uh, a major part in the ministry of music. appreciate so much what you do and I should comment more about it, but I, I just love it. I appreciate it. Thank God for the talent that he's put here. Second thing before we get into the message, again, uh, our hearts are saddened, if you will, for uh, the loss of Richard Johnson, and multiple people in our church are, uh, of course, related to him, uh, uh, Boyd and Amy Aldrich, and uh, I have to apologize because, and I'm still just a a little bit sheepishly new here, and sometimes I forget who's related to who, so I, I failed uh, on several weeks to mention Amy Aldrich, who is the daughter of uh, Mr. Johnson, who passed away. Then, of course, uh, Jeffrey Johnson and Courtney and many of the grandkids come here, so it's, it's a big deal. So the, the funeral is going to be this Tuesday at McWanago Baptist, uh, visitation at 1.30, service of two. Of course, I'll be there, Lord willing, uh, to support the family. And if you can, of course, it'll be good if you could come. If not, cards, letters, encouragement, whatever you can do for the family, I know would be greatly appreciated. So let's pray, and we'll get into tonight's exciting message. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for Union Grove Baptist Church. Thank you for each and every single person that's a part of this precious body. And Father, we thank you for each person that walks through the doors that you bring to us, and we're so thankful for each person. 
And Father, I pray that uh, those watching on the internet tonight, those that are sitting uh, in our comfy uh, pews tonight, that uh, Father, that you would bless each and every person. And Father, that you'd excite us as we open up this very, very special book that you've given to us, which lays out not only the past, the present, but also the prophetic future. So Lord, speak to our hearts, help us to be challenged by what we're going to be studying and Father, we commit this to you. So Father, as always, we ask that you can do what only you would do, please. Revive the saved and save the lost. In Jesus' precious name, amen. All right, take your Bibles. Let's go to Revelation chapter 1. We'll read the first five verses, and then we will uh, start talking about apocalyptic absolutes. And we'll explain what that means in just a moment. All right, Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Well, as we start out, we're going to spend just a moment on this opening slide, if you will, talking about what does it mean, apocalyptic absolutes. So if we go and we'll look at the word in just a moment, we're going to explain what the word apocalyptic means. It's a, a fancy word. You sometimes will hear it in the, in the media when they'll say something like, this is of apocalyptic proportions, a meaning super big, super grandiose, if you will. But that's really not what the word means, but we'll get to that in just a moment. So we've read the first couple of verses, and we're going to explain what the word means as we open up these first couple of statements that the Apostle John makes. Now we're going to go through the history of uh, John being on the island of Patmos. Uh, it'll come up in uh, verse uh, 9 and 10 in, uh, in another week or so. So I'm going to skip that for now and just take it as it comes. So we're going to just dive right into the passage. So let's start with the first couple of words. The revelation, not revelations, plural. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. So what are we talking about when we're looking at the word revelation? Well, the word revelation is the Greek word apocalypsis, i.e. apocalyptic absolutes. So when we're looking at what does the uh, apocalyptic literature, if you will, in the scriptures, what does it refer to? Well, very simply, it's talking about that which is being revealed. The, the key word revelation, which of course is the title of the book, it's an uncovering, it's an unveiling, it's a disclosure of things that God hasn't revealed in the past. Now you'll see some overlapping in some of the other prophetic books, specifically the book of Daniel, which is a companion book to Revelation. If you're in Bible school, in all likelihood, you'll take a class called Daniel and Revelation. Sometimes they'll split them up, but many times in many Bible schools, 
they'll take those two books and literally side by side go through many things as they line up in the scriptures. So it's extremely important from a prophetic standpoint. So apocalyptic, what does that word also imply? Let's go back to that first slide again. In fact, we'll take the top part off. What do you see? It's like, well, that's some crazy-looking drawing. <laughs> and it is crazy-looking because it's a beast, one beast, made up of a beast with multiple different heads. And you're like, well, there's that science fiction. It's, it's not real. And you're, in a sense, exactly right. God is going to use, in the book of Revelation, many different symbols to represent literal truths. We're going to be talking about beasts. We're going to be talking about a dragon. We're going to be talking about many different things that God is using in a vernacular that the people of the first century would understand to illustrate the horrific, if you will, things that are going to be taking place in the prophetic future. So when we're looking at the symbolic things that are used in apocalyptic literature, uh, style literature in the scriptures, you'll be seeing many things that represent real truths. The difference between spiritualizing and allegorizing a text and using the concept, if you will, of symbolic literature, if you will, from like the book of Revelation and other books in prophecy, every single time God uses one of these, if you will, kind of weird illustrations, it's an illustration. It's pointing to a reality. So you'll see that as we go through the book. All right, so again, we're looking at something that God is opening up. He's revealing it. He's going to show us things that he has kept secret before. The revelation of whom? Of Jesus Christ. So what is he revealing? What is the purpose of what we're going to be looking at? And we'll go through an outline of the book in a few minutes. But as we look at this, what is God really pointing to in the book of Revelation. We're going to be looking at chapters 4, verse 2, all the way through chapter 19, verse 10, that talks about a seven-year tribulation period. Seven years. How many chapters are we talking? Chapter 4, verse 2, all the way through chapter 19 and verse 10, God is going to be looking at one seven-year period. When we get out of chapter 19, he comes to the, uh, if you will, the focus of everything the book of Revelation is about, which is the second coming of Jesus Christ, spoken about in Revelation 19, verse 11 through 21. We'll see exactly how the Lord Jesus is going to be coming back to this earth. Now, again, we know of two, we'll get into the timeline in just a minute, but there's two times that Jesus is going to approach this earth. The first time he approaches it, but does not touch down on the earth. The second time he's coming to rule and reign as, if you will, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Let's just jump ahead for a moment to Revelation chapter 19 and verse 15. Now out of his, or Jesus Christ's mouth, goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron, he himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, and he has on his robe and in his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. 
Revelation 19, again, is when Jesus Christ is going to be coming back with all of his saints, come back to this earth to set up his 1,000-year millennial kingdom. Revelation 20, verses 1 through 10. So what we're going to see here is every single thing, the focus of what God is going to be doing up until we get to Revelation 20 is preparing us, preparing, if you will, the individuals that will be here on this earth during that seven-year tribulation for the coming of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Folks, I'm just going to throw this out here and we'll, we'll come back to it multiple times in the next several months. Why would God judge the earth and literally almost wipe out the entire population of the earth during that seven-year period? Remember this morning, if you were here, when the children of Israel, God did miracles, absolute, unequivocal miracles to get those Jewish people, the Hebrew children, out of Egypt. And plagues, the ten plagues happen, and finally the Passover happens where everybody who didn't put the blood post, uh, put the blood on the posts of their homes, their firstborn was killed. The Jewish people watched as God preserved them during the Passover. God takes them out. Pharaoh delivers them and says, get them out of here. I'm tired of them. Uh, my son is dead because of these Jewish people. I'm sick and tired of this. I can't handle it anymore. And the Jewish people start to walk away. And they come up to the Red Sea and they're like, oh, God brought us out of Egypt to kill us. And God says, no, I came here to deliver you. And God uh, uh, parts the Red Sea and the Jewish people walk through the opened up waters and they get to the other side and God, whew, as the uh, uh, Pharaoh's army uh, is allowed to go through, the waters go on them and drowns them all. I was in Egypt, as I've told you before, some... I don't know how many years ago. I'm bad with years. And when you're in Egypt, there's one sp particular spot where uh, submarines have gone through and they've uh, found wagon wheels at the bottom of the ocean going from uh, across the dead, or the Red Sea, not the Dead Sea. It's like, well, there's kind of documentation there, isn't it? And there is. And it's amazing. And they saw it face to face. They watched as uh, God did the miracle. And God takes them and he, he, he brings them to Mount Sinai. And the people know that God's presence is there as they see the pillar of fire uh, by, by night and the cloud by day. And they gather around Mount Sinai as Moses goes up to meet with God himself. And in a short period of time, they turn their backs on God and say, hey, let's build us an idol. Folks, God is going to be judging this world in an unprecedented way as we go through this text over the next several months. Why? Because when the King of Kings steps down on this earth, which he will do, when he comes back to set up his 1,000-year millennial kingdom, this earth is going to be in the best shape it's ever been in since the Garden of Eden. And we'll look at different scriptures that point that out. This world will return to a near Edenic state speaking of the Garden of Eden, when the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords steps foot on this earth. It's an amazing, amazing account of what's going to be taking place. So that's why all this is happening. God is preparing, if you will, the world for what is going to happen when he comes. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him, 
to show his servants. So we're going to go through, and we'll pick up this as we go through tonight's message, different ways that God is presenting his message into what groups of people. So we start out with, in just this particular verse, God gives this revelation to Jesus Christ to what? To let us know, to let his servants know what's going to be taking place. Folks, I hope you consider yourself a servant of the Lord Jesus. Every single one of us, it's a grand title to have. You say, I'm nobody's servant. I'm, I'm the Lord's servant. That's a special privilege. So are you. If you've trusted Jesus, you love him, and you want to serve him, you're a servant. That's a high position, folks. We could go to a, a 2 Corinthians chapter 5 where God calls us ambassadors. That might be a little cuter title, if you will, but isn't it good to be able to serve the one that we love and care about? We love the Lord Jesus, and boy, we're going to be serving him big time coming up in the future. We're his doulos, his servants. Well, the in, in, initi, initiation of revelation, now the imminency of revelation. When are these things going to be taking place? And he says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his th servants, what? Things which must shortly take place. So when he's talking about shortly, quickly, of short duration, that was written in 95 A.D. It's now 2000 A.D. That doesn't sound very speedy to me. Well, as we're going to see as we go through the first three chapters, chapter 1 was taking place when John wrote this. And we're going to be looking at letters that John, through, of course, the Holy Spirit, wrote to seven churches that existed at that very time. And those churches that existed at that time were given warnings. Now, folks, I've been to the seven churches of Asia. I've been there. I've looked at the places where those churches stood 2,000 years ago. And I'm going to report to you that not a single one of those churches remain today. Why is that? We'll look at that as we get into those letters. So those things that were happening at that time are going to happen quickly, but some of these prophetic events have not happened yet. They will happen. So here's the quick outline, a very simple one, of what we'll be looking at. So in Revelation 21, well, let's look at verse 19 and, and uh, compare this with the outline of what we're looking at. So he says, listen, John, write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. Three-point outline. He lays it right out for us. So in Revelation chapter 1, of course, we've skipped ahead to verse 19 because we want to lay the outline out for you. Write down the things which you have seen. First part of Revelation chapter 1. Write the things which are, specifically chapter 2 and 3, he's going to be writing letters to the seven churches in Asia, if you will, today better known as Turkey, and write the things which are going to take place. Again, and I'll tip our hand a little bit, Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, most conservative dispensational scholars believe that in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, is when the rapture of the Christian church takes place. Everything from Revelation chapter 4, verse, well, Revelation 4, 1 is future, hasn't happened yet all the way through the end of Revelation 22 is all future. So what we're going to do, because I, I want to keep us on our toes 
uh, it gets a little, it, it's not as tantalizing in chapter 1 as we're going to be once we get to chapters 2 through the end of the book. So I want to take you, I'm going to do a little interlude here. I'm going to take us to the prophetic calendar. You'll see these charts coming up multiple times during our study of the book of Revelation. But we need to understand some of the basic timeline that God has laid out in the Scriptures. So let's go back, and if I was in a conference, I'd take a long time discussing this particular issue. When did God create the heavens and the earth and all that in them there is? When was Adam and Eve created? How old is mankind? And the Scriptures are very firm on when that happened. So you'll see here a creation happened in approximately 4,000 B.C. Creation. Creation. When the Creator determined that He was going to make this heavens and this earth and all that in them there is. You say, oh, Brother Rich, that does not match up with the secular college's uh, position about evolution. It doesn't match up with carbon dating, which I don't agree with. It doesn't match, folks, here's what it matches up with, God's Word. By the way, if we talk about carbon dating, have you, if, you, if you get into this, and this, we're not going to go depthy into that tonight, but you'll see the secular scientists coming up with millions and billions of years old based on carbon dating, and then you'll read Henry Morris's book or other Christian authors pointing out the tremendous fallacy in that. It's a big study. We're not going to get that depthy tonight, but something to think about. So, assuming the Word of God is correct, which I do assume is the fact, <laughs> that is a, not an assumption, it's a reality. Again, if we wanted to prove how old the earth is and when Adam and Eve were created, you go to Genesis 5 and Genesis 11. And actually, I'm, I'm, I keep threatening to do this, and I'm going to actually execute this. I've done it on paper, but I've never put it on print. If you go through the genealogy of Genesis 5 and Genesis 11, it will take you back to approximately 4,000 B.C. when Adam and Eve were created. Now you say, well, Brother Rich, if you're saying the Word of God is sure, how can you say approximately 4,000 B.C. and not give us a firm date? Here's the reason why. Everybody humor me for a minute. It's only us. On the count of three, everybody tell me what month they were born in. Are you ready? One, two, three. All right, I heard, I heard 12 different months. Believe it or not, my hearing's that good. <laughs> okay, I lied. I shouldn't do that. But uh, I did, definitely didn't hear everybody say the same month. Now, if you are born in January of 2021 or January, you've already had your birthday. Happy birthday. If you had your birthday in February, and it's, uh, let's see, today's Valentine's Day, the 14th. By the way, I didn't say it, sorry. Happy Valentine's Day. Love y'all. Um, I didn't send y'all cards, but I love y'all. <laughs> and if you've had your birthday today or earlier, you've already picked up your new year. If you're born on February 15th through the end of December, you have not had your birthday yet i.e., you have not changed to your next year of age. When you look at the historical genealogies, they do not give the month. They give the year. 
Therefore, when you're going through the genealogies, you can be off as much as 11 months on their birthday. So when you look specifically at the genealogies, and there's a lot of people in those genealogies to get you back to 4000 B.C., if you looked at it and analyzed it, you would have to know everyone's literal month in which they were born to get the accurate year. So that's why we say it's approximately 4000 B.C., uh, looking back as to when those things took place, because the genealogies are not specific on what month each individual was born. All right, so that takes us back. So you can go plus or minus however many years you want, but definitely we're going to be in around the 4,000-year range. We go to the Old Testament, we start to go through. I'm going to slip to the next slide here. If you're new to our church, I've gone through this in the past, but this is good review material. What we're looking at are the three strands, if you will, of the human family, or three groups that are discussed in the Scriptures. This is extremely important to know as we start looking at the prophetic word. So we go all the way back on the left of the screen to when Adam and Eve were created. Now we have scholars, again, we can go back as far as 4000 B.C. If you take the literal numbers as in the genealogy, it comes out to 3,942 B.C. So that's the swing. We go to Genesis, Adam and Eve, were they Jews, Christians, or Gentiles? You can answer. Yes. <laughs> All right. Here's what they were. They were Gentiles, and we'll explain why they were Gentiles as we go through this progression. They could not be Christian, they could not be Jews, and here's how we'll explain that. When they were created, they were Gentiles. They were non-Jewish individuals. For the first 2,000 years of history, catch this now, we're talking 6,000 years from creation to today, approximately. The first 2,000 years of history are recorded in 11 chapters of Genesis. The first 11 chapters speak to what had taken place for 2,000 years. 11 small chapters cover the first 2,000 years of history. We get to Genesis chapter 12, and we start off with the Abrahamic covenant, where God makes a covenant with Abraham, who is one of the patriarchs of what group of people? Our Jewish friends. So for the first 2,000 years of history, no Jewish people. The second 2,000 years, Abraham, and we've gone through this, so humor me again, Abraham, who has a son named Isaac, who has a son named Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, the father of the Jewish people, the Israelis, the Hebrews. And often in Scripture in the Old Testament, when we read through it, we talk about the children of Israel. He's talking about the descendants, all the children. And by the way, we're talking, when we're talking about the children of Israel, you could be talking about his descendants. So you're talking at times about uh, uh, probably several million people in Scripture. All right, so we have the second people group from 2000, approximately 2000 B.C., up until Jesus Christ comes, we have two people groups, Jews and Gentiles. No Christians yet. You say, well, wait a minute. 
Didn't they look forward to the Messiah and they trusted in Christ and therefore were Christians? Well, maybe by belief that was possible, but they were not Christians at that time. That's not what their name was. They were Jewish people that believed in God and followed God, and therefore they were his children. The next, and it's, it's just interesting how we've followed 2,000 years approximately patterned. So 2,000 years Gentiles only, the next 2,000 years Jews and Gentiles, the next 2,000 years we have something major happen. Jesus Christ comes to this earth, spends some 33 years on this earth, crucified, buried, comes alive after three days, and all of a sudden we have a third people group come on the scene known as Christians. Take your Bibles, please. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 32, so I can prove exactly what I just stated to you. 1 Corinthians, and I could quote it, but I'm going to turn to it myself so I don't make a mistake. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 32. Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks, speaking of the Gentiles, or to the what? The church of God. What is he talking about? He's saying there are Jewish individuals, there are Gentile individuals, and then there is the church of God. What is the church of God made up of? It's made up of Jewish people and Gentile people who placed their faith in Jesus Christ and took him as their personal savior. And God's saying, and he points out these three different people groups, Jews, Gentiles, and Christians. My friend, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you haven't accepted his free gift of salvation or eternal life through trusting in Christ, then you're a Jew or you're a Gentile, but you're not a Christian. And I trust by the end of our message tonight that you'll consider becoming a Christian as well. So we go back to our basic timeline, creation approximately 4,000 B.C. We look at the Old Testament uh, involving the Mosaic Covenant, which is what we talked about that was given on Mount Sinai in 1445 B.C. We look at Abraham coming on the scene in approximately 2000 B.C. And then we come up to where we are in our current, if you will, part of the prophetic timeline. The cross takes place, everything changes. No longer do we follow the 633 Old Testament commandments, but now God says you are 100% to follow the grace of God. Now, many of them, the, uh, all of the moral, ethical uh, commands, if you will, still are reiterated in the New Testament, but we no longer follow the dietary laws, the sacrificial laws, and so forth, so things have dramatically changed. The law was in place to point us, to point the Jews and the Gentiles in the Old Testament to what? To Jesus Christ. So things have changed. So for the past 2,000 years, ever since Jesus Christ came, we now are in what's known as the church age. We're not going to get specifically into detail on that tonight. We've done it in the past, but understand that after the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ, we now become, if you will, part of the church when you trust Christ. You say, well, you mean you become a member of Union Grove Baptist Church when you trust Christ. That's not what I'm talking about at all. If you've trusted the Lord Jesus as your personal Savior, you are part of God's church family. 
Union Grove Baptist Church is one of the local New Testament churches that you can come to and fellowship with us. You are part of what's known as the body of Christ if you've trusted Jesus. That means every single Christian, whether they're in Africa, whether in Europe, whether in Asia, whether they're in the United States, doesn't matter what country they're in, every single person that's trusted Christ is part of his body, of which every single one of us is also part of that, if you will. They like to use the word universal, and that's a good word to use. All right, so what are we going to do as we open up the book of Revelation? So we're going to talk about churches that existed during Revelation 2 and Revelation 3. You're going to find that they're going to be, some of them have, are giving only commendation. Hey, you guys are really doing a good job. He's going to look at some of the churches, and he's going to spank them hard. He's going to tell them, shape up, or I'm going to shut you down. And he does. And we know that from history. So chapters 2 and 3 are things that have taken place. They're the things in the past. It was current when John wrote them. The warnings were given. The admonitions were given. The, the, the aggrandizement was given. But that's all came and gone. What happens next? After we look at the historical churches, and by the way, tremendous application, which we'll be able to pull out of that. So it's, it's good stuff. It's not prophetic, but it's good stuff. After Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, the next major event takes place, which is, if you look at the bottom of the screen, you'll see the word rapture. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18, let's review that one more time. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain, should it happen in our generation, shall be caught up together with them in the air, in the clouds, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Notice my hand never came down to earth. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50 and 54, he says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We, Christians, shall not all sleep, in other words, die, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, will be changed and given those glorified bodies. Amen? That's a good thing. It's coming. And I try, I'm, I'm, How about now, Lord? Looking forward to his coming. I hope it's in our lifetime. Be wonderful to be just, boom, transformed and we're up in heaven. Immediately after we're gone, this is where we have to pull Daniel in and we get to uh, chapter 4. We'll start bringing Daniel into the program. But something major is going to happen. Something major is going to change on this earth. First of all, all the Christians are out of here. Folks, do you know what happens when all the Christians are going to leave? You think it's bad now. Who indwells Christians? The Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 3.16, 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Know you not that you are the body of the Holy Spirit, the temple of the Holy Spirit. Folks, when we leave, now the Holy Spirit's omnipresent. Some have falsely stated the Holy Spirit leaves and never comes back to earth. That is not true. The Holy Spirit's omni or omnipresent. It's part of his attributes. But when the church leaves and the Holy Spirit, basically the ministry that he does through the church today, it's done. You're like, oh boy, that's going to be a mess, isn't it? Oh, is it going to be a mess? Daniel chapter 9, verse 27 tells us that the Antichrist is going to come on the scene. He's going to confirm a covenant with the Jewish people in Israel. This world, folks, is in semi-chaos now. After we leave, it's guaranteed. 
this earth is going to be a disaster. The Antichrist, whoever that person is going to be, is going to come on the scene. He's going to become a worldwide leader. He's going to draw the entire world together. They will worship him as if he is God. The Antichrist will have extreme power for those seven years, and we'll go through that as we go start in chapter 4 and go through chapter 19. He will confirm this peace treaty with the Jewish people. For three and a half years, the Jewish people will live in pseudo-peace. The Muslim Dome of the Rock in Israel will come down. The third Jewish temple will be built. The sacrificial system of the unsaved Jewish people will be inaugurated and will take place again. However, after those three and a half years, as we'll find in Revelation chapter 12, there's going to be a war in heaven. Believe it or not, a war in heaven. It's going to be a good read. A war in heaven takes place because Satan has not been cast out of heaven yet, but he will be. In Revelation chapter 12, it tells us that Satan himself will be cast out of heaven. He'll be sent down to this earth. It tells us, if you recall, because I preached on the passage in the past, that Satan comes down and he is wrathful. He is angry. He is fired up and he knows that his time is short. Three and a half more years to upset God's plan and to keep himself from going to hell for eternity. Sorry, you lose, Satan. He's going to come on the scene. He's going to empower the Antichrist. The Antichrist is going to go against the Jewish people. He's going, they're going to rebel against God. That is the entire world that's left. Two-thirds of all Jewish people will die during that time. Revelation 13, verses 8. I'm sorry, Zechariah, verses 13, 8, and 9. It'll be the worst holocaust of all time. The Jewish people will be persecuted. The abomination of desolation will take place. Matthew chapter 24, when Antichrist walks into the temple and defiles it, kicks out the Jewish people, and kills every Jew that hasn't run to the hills. Horrible, horrible time. For three and a half years, it'll be the worst persecution of the Jewish people that has ever taken place on this earth. Right now, you're watching something we've also talked about in the past, an unprecedented return of the Jewish people to Israel as we speak. Ezekiel chapter 37 talks about the Jewish people returning without any breath in them. Dry bones coming together, returning to Israel. We are watching it happen in our lifetime. In 70 AD, the Jewish people were expelled from Israel. Nebuchadnezzar came in, I'm sorry, the Romans came in in 70 AD, Nebuchadnezzar came in in 586 BC and destroyed Israel. Israel rebuilt itself. About 515 BC, the second temple was put up. It was prophesied by Jesus himself. It was prophesied by Daniel. In verse 29, I'm sorry, chapter 9, verse 26, that that second temple would come down. Sure enough, God's word came true. In 70 AD, the Romans came in and destroyed the second temple. A group called the Muslims then eventually took over Israel and built the Dome of the Rock and the Al-Aqsa Mosque on God's property. God's going to reclaim that property someday. It's coming. What's going to happen? The Jews will rebuild that second temple, or rebuild the temple. It'll be the third temple on God's temple mount. And then Satan himself, with the power 
of Satan will take the Antichrist and the false prophet, which we'll talk about in Revelation 13, and will set up his one world religious system. It's coming. If you're saved, you won't be there. All right, so what are three things that, uh, and again, I'm giving you a complete prophetic timeline overview tonight just to set the tone as we go through these things. If we don't understand where we're headed, uh, things won't make sense. Again, we live in what age? It's called the what? The church age made up of Christians, Jews and Gentiles that have trusted Christ. The next major event on God's prophetic calendar is at the top of the screen, starts in an R. The next major prophetic event is the rapture of the church age saints. Shortly after the rapture takes place, we don't know there's going to be a gap. We don't know if it's a few days, a few months, a year. We don't know. God doesn't tell us, but there'll be a time, a little bit of a gap for the Antichrist to gain power. Three major things must happen in order for the Antichrist to come to power. And again, I've given you the references. We're not going to go through them in depth tonight, but again, we just want to set the context as to where the scriptures are going to take us. From Daniel chapter 7, Revelation 13, we know that a ten-nation confederacy must form. The Bible does not tell us who those nations are. He simply points out there will be a ten-nation confederacy. If you read the passages, you'll find out that those nations are currently, if you will, nations that appear not to exist, which is real difficult. So what's he talking about? And the answer is, by the way, do you know that God doesn't reveal everything? Uh, many times uh, Christians will come and they'll say, hey, pastor, um, I've got a question about, and they'll, name, and they'll state the question, and they can't find the answer. And it's like, well, you're a pastor. You've got to know the answer. I'm like, God didn't reveal that. I can't give you an answer because God didn't. All I can do is speculate, and I try not to speculate. So God doesn't always tell us everything, but he does reveal there will be a ten-nation confederacy that's going to form. The Antichrist will become the head of that ten-nation confederacy. The Bible also tells us that he's going to destroy three of those nations, and there will be seven left. So, But uh, originally, those ten nations have to form. Number one. Second, Antichrist has to come to power. He has to confirm then that seven-year peace treaty with the Jewish people, which, of course, he's going to break after three and a half years. All right, so we're starting to lay out the prophetic timeline. When we get to chapter 5, and specifically chapter 6, all the way through Revelation, um, we'll call it chapter 19, but technically through chapter 16, we're going to be looking at three, actually four sets of judgments. For some reason, almost every single scholar skips over one set of judgments in the scriptures, and I'll tell you why in a moment. What you will be looking at, though, we'll be looking at seven seal judgments, seven trumpet judgments, and seven bowl or vial judgments based on if you're using the New King James or the King James. King James calls them vials. New King James calls them bowl judgments. You're going to watch that as these judgments increase as a lady who is in labor. Matthew 24 talks about these labor pains. We're going to see as the judgments, and by the way, folks, that isn't a single judgment that isn't horrific. But God's going to point out that we're going to start out with kind of mediocre judgments, but they're not good. None of us want to be there for them. And those judgments are going to keep getting harsher and harsher and harsher 
until God says, if he didn't cut these days short, no person would survive. Matthew 24, verse 14. So what we're looking at is we're going to watch as those labor pains increase, the judgments increase. We'll be looking at those 21 judgments. But wait, there's more. Seven thunder judgments spoken about in Revelation chapter 10. And God says, guess what, folks? Use your imagination. I'm not going to tell you what they are. I'm like, whoa. I already know according to Scripture, Matthew chapter 24, verse 14 says that the judgments are going to be so harsh, so severe, that if God didn't keep this to a seven-year time period, every single person on this earth would die. I'm like, wow. I've read the bold judgments, which are so harsh. Folks, do you know that one of the bold judgments is there will be no water left on the earth? It's all going to turn to blood. How long can you live without water? <laughs> a couple days. That means when we're getting to Revelation 16, now Revelation 17, Revelation 18, talk about you know, the Revelation 17, it's not in chronological order, it talks about the false church that will start up there in the first three and a half years of the tribulation. Revelation 18 talks about the false uh, church and Antichrist power and the destruction of Babylon, which is going to be the Antichrist headquarters. So that's not chronologically in place. So Revelation 16 is really the end of the judgments. And that's when it gets so severe that China and the, the eastern nations are going to come. They're going to attack Israel. There's literally, the water supply is literally drying up, turning into blood. And there's a very short window and then we skip over the two chapters of interlude, chapter 17 and 18. We come to chapter 19, and he says, I'm coming back. Because if I don't, there's not going to be one single person left. Folks, there's 7.3 billion people on the earth today. We're going to look at two judgments, one in the uh, uh, seals, one in the trumpets. Revelation chapter 6, verse 9, and Revelation 9:18, where 50% of the earth's population will be killed die in those two judgments alone it's scary and yet as people will watch those judgments they won't say oh god i'm sorry i repent they'll say we hate god they'll blaspheme his name praise the antichrist he's our ruler hardened hearts folks we'll see that as we go through the book Finally, Revelation chapter 19, Jesus Christ comes back with all his saints. Folks, if you've trusted Christ, that's you. We're all going to mount up on white horses. You say, are you kidding me? White horses in heaven? I thought there were no animals in heaven. I've read the books. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, I don't know what animals are going to be in heaven, but there are going to be a whole lot of white horses. Because God is not using apocalyptic symbolic literature. He says Jesus Christ will mine up, mount up on his white horse, all of his saints with him, and they're all coming back right here to this earth because the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is going to set down on this earth. He's going to go out to the battlefield of Armageddon and wipe out all the nations which have gathered to fight against him. Zechariah chapter 14, verses 1 through 4. Jesus Christ will wipe them out with the word of his mouth, the sword that comes out of his mouth. He will wipe out all the offenders at that point. In Matthew chapter 25, we have what's known as the sheep and the goat judgment. 
All those who have survived and haven't been killed when Jesus Christ returns, every single person will stand before the Lord. All the nations will come before him. Again, Matthew chapter 25. And he divides the people up into two groups. The sheep on yeah, your left, my right. The sheep will go on his right, the goats on the left. Every single person that hasn't come to uh, acknowledge who Christ is at that point are given the ultimatum. And there's no time to change their mind. You've rejected me. You rejected what I've done for the last seven years. You refuse to trust me. Depart from me into everlasting fire. Be prepared for the devil and his angels. You over here? <laughs> you managed to survive the tribulation. Well done. I don't know how you did it, but you did it. Come on into my kingdom. We're going to see all that as it transpires. Revelation 20, that isn't an interesting. Revelation 20, verses 1 to 10, 10 little teeny tiny verses. He talks about the thousand years. Took us from chapter 4 to chapter 19 to talk about seven years. And in 10 verses, he's going to talk about a thousand years. But there's many more Old Testament scriptures that we can go to. All right, we're just about going to close out for the night. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his service, things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant, John. So here's the progression. God gives it to Jesus. Jesus gives it to, uh, if you will, his servants. And it's all signified by what? His angel who is giving this literally to his servant, John. So we have the communication process. Finally, verse 2 and bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. So he's like, listen, man, whew, I'm going to disclose, I'm going to uncover, I'm going to show you the details, I'm going to tell you about the horrific judgments, and I'm going to be very graphic. And Revelation is very, very graphic. Final verse for tonight. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. So first of all, folks, God is promising you a blessing if you read the book of Revelation. Don't be afraid of it. Don't say, well, I don't understand it all. That's okay. We'll help you understand it. But read the book of Revelation. Spend some time, you know, go through it, read through it. Blessings to those who hear about the book of Revelation. So I don't know what your blessing is tonight because we've been reading from Revelation, but you got a blessing coming, all right? You can figure out what that blessing is, but God's going to bless you for reading and hearing it. And finally, he says, blessings to those who heed what's in Revelation. Specifically, when we go through the letters to the seven churches, there's going to be some really tough admonitions. Oh, there's going to be some wonderful things, too. He's going to praise them and say, good job on that. But uh-oh, you messed up on this. Folks, these are admonitions that we need to take to heart, that we need to watch here uh, uh, at Union Grove as well as every other single church. These are admonitions that God's given us to us to watch. Study. Book's not easy. That I will agree with but it's not impossible. So the Bible admonishes us, and I'm going to go to the King James. I love this translation of this verse. Study! All the kids and the people in school are like, oh man, study, seriously? And God says, you study this. 
you get into it. Study to show yourselves approved unto God. Approved unto God. Listen, we, we go to school to get what? We want to get good grades from our teachers. I've been in school almost my entire life. It's one of the few years I haven't been in school. And I study and study and study and study. How many of you know the Lagos program? Oh, I just bought the complete package about a week or two ago. I'd rather, oh, it's tough. Anyway, why? Because I still want to study. Study to show yourselves approved unto God a work man or work woman that work man that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. God says, I want you to study my word so you get it right, so we can tell others the final great news. Well, we're not going to exegete this passage, but we're going to close with this because I always like to close with what Jesus Christ does for people. Even though we're going to be looking to things that will be happening in the future, we'll look at two chapters about things that have already taken place. But folks, the most important thing to know as we walk out of this building tonight, for those watching through video, internet tonight, knowledge can just puff up. It's like, ah, I know this. I'm smart. I get it. God says there's reason that I've given you this information. It's not to make you feel like you're a scholar. It's not to make you feel like you've, you've got an edge on everybody else. It's because he's saying, why do we study Bible prophecy? Folks, you know why? If the rapture happens in our lifetime, when Jesus returns and you've trusted Christ, we're gone. And now we think about who's going to be left behind. Tim LaHaye wrote the very, very well-known series called Left Behind. It's a massive, massive seller. You've been left behind. Maybe we'll play that song one of these days. Just, it's a good song. It's a stirring song. It's a haunting song. You've been left behind. God's people have gone, and you're still down on this earth facing all this horror that's going to take place for those seven years. And I say, how can we read the book of Revelation? How can we understand the horrific things that are coming and could happen in this generation and not have a heart for people, not have a heart for our mom or our dad or our cousin or our nephew or our son or our daughter or others? Folks, I'm going to share this with you. And this is an amazing, amazing thing that happened here a couple days ago. And I, I know they've told multiple people this, so I don't believe I'm betraying a confidence. They're not here tonight, but they'll definitely be here in the weeks to come. They live three to four hours from here, Valerie, about right. I've preached in their church. They came to me a day ago and they said, Brother Rich, we want to be missionaries. I was like, good night. These guys are old. <laughs> and they are. They're not chickens anymore. They're older than me. They're really old. Thank you, sir. <laughs> I knew I'd get an amen for that. <laughs> they came up to me and they said, Brother Rich, we're, we're going to be missionaries. And I said, Okay, all right, God can do that. And I said, well, where are you going to go? They said, we're going to come to your area. 
like, oh, well, that's interesting. And I've talked to them so many times about this, and they're like, we have a loved one that's not trusted Jesus Christ in your area. They're looking to leave everything they have, potentially sell their property, and they live in a beautiful place on a beautiful location because their heart aches for a person they love that hasn't come to Jesus Christ yet. Sell everything. They live in a paradise, if you will. It's beautiful. I've stayed in their home. Marvelous. And so we give all this up if we can come and reach the one person for Christ. Can you imagine that? Give up everything because they so care about this one person that they're willing to give up everything that they've worked for all their life to come to try and minister to one person that they want to see come to Christ. Just that one person. And I look out across the world, I look across Union Grove, I look across everything within our driving distance, I look at the counties that surround us, and I'm like, my goodness, these people are willing to give up everything for one person. What are we willing to do to try and reach folks for Jesus Christ? What are we willing to do? I'm not asking you to sell your home. I'm not asking you to give a million bucks or whatever or take out a ridiculous loan so you can just have a heart for people. Folks, Jesus Christ gave up everything. Everything. He gave up his throne in glory. He gave up his position. He comes down here and he says, I love you and I'm coming to get you. <laughs> and I'm willing to give up my glory. I'm willing to give up my position as God himself to humble myself, to take on the humble form of a servant, to come as a humble carpenter and to die Literally, take on a human flesh, suffer like no one ever suffered before, have his father turn his back on him when he takes the whole world's sin upon him on the cross, and he screams out to his father, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus went to the garden before he went to the cross and he begged God, please, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. Please don't make me go to that cross. Please don't make me have to suffer you turning your back on me. I can't take it. Lord, please, if there's any other way, please. And God said, my, he said, never now. And Jesus said, nevertheless, not my will, but you'll be done. And he comes and does it. And he goes to the cross. Why do we study prophecy? Because, folks, people are going to die by the millions, billions. Can we change the course of prophecy? No. But maybe, just maybe, just maybe, that person that you're thinking about, that person you love that hasn't come to Christ, isn't it time to talk to him? Isn't it time to lovingly share the gospel that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God? Romans 3.23 that the wages of our sin is death, eternal separation from God, Romans 6.23. That Jesus Christ, God's Son, came down and died on that cross for our sins. But God demonstrates His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, Romans chapter 5, verse 8. And the verse that we've said a thousand times probably since I've come here, Ephesians 2.8.9, for by grace are you saved 
By grace, God's free unmerited gift are you saved, saved from your sins, saved from the penalty of hell. For by grace are you saved through faith, faith alone. It's not of ourselves, it is the gift of God, not of our works, lest any person should boast. And we look at prophecy, and we're going to watch as billions of people are going to die. And God says, you got a heart for folks. You love people. You care about folks. If you're here tonight, have you trusted Christ? If you've not, pay attention. Please pay attention. Because this is what you're headed for. It's time to get right with God. It's time to make sure you love God. It's time to know that you've given your heart to Him. It's time for those of us that have already made that decision for Christ to work harder than we've ever worked before to give folks the gospel. Folks, our world is going, and I don't mean this outside of anything but truth when I say this. I'm not saying it in a wrong way. The world is on its way to hell, the lake of fire. And God has called us to be his ambassadors. What will we do with Jesus tonight? Father, I pray now as we shut down the service. Lord, I'm passionate. I'm so passionate about this book. I'm so passionate about souls. I'm so passionate, if you will, about your love. But Father, my passion does not a thing for anyone else. I can't make anyone do anything. But Father, the power of the Holy Spirit can move in each one of us to make us all passionate for the cause of Christ. Father, I pray now for each and every person that's part of our Union Grove family. Father, would you help us to love folks like never before? Would you help us to share the gospel like never before? Always speaking the truth in love, never caustic, never confrontational, but in a loving, kind manner, just the same way as if you were here speaking to us tonight. Help us to do that, Lord. Help me to do it in the right way. Please, Lord, help all of us. If you're here tonight and you're, you're watching on the internet, if you died right now, do you know for sure where you would go? We've given the gospel multiple times. The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, that Christ came to die for you. Are you ready to give your life to Jesus Christ tonight? Are you ready by faith to accept that free gift of eternal life by placing your faith and trust in Him and Him alone? If that's you tonight and you're ready to trust Christ, we're going to say a prayer in just a moment. The prayer is not what will take you to heaven, but it's your faith you're placing in Christ this very moment would you tell him right now in your old words would you accept that free gift would you claim his free gift of salvation from sin and hell by trusting jesus tonight you say brother rich i want to do that so bad well let's tell him together about it and again let's just tell him what's on your heart dear god i know i'm a sinner and i know i don't deserve to go to heaven but this night, this very moment, I'm trusting Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I'm accepting His free gift of eternal life by trusting in His death, burial, and resurrection. Thank you so much for saving me, Lord. Now help me to live for you. Father, seal the decisions tonight. Help us to have a burden for souls as we go through this very, very important book of Revelation. Do what only you can do tonight. In Jesus' precious name. Amen.